discover how miraculous you are as a human being. Discover that there's no such thing as being helpless. You know, explore your full potential because you were designed to handle things. You just need to figure out how to do that and learn from it. I understand why people are discouraged and why they feel like I'm done. Uh, I'm sure I'll run across something at some point where I will be. But, you know, if, if I had to suggest what would be on my tombstone, it's going to be this is one I won't take lying down. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, it's that time again for us to get some inspiration and fire me up, get me going. For when a struggle comes in life, we know that we can keep it in the seat, move on about, have the best life we can possible. Hey, today our guest, he actually uh, sustained a uh, spinal cord injury or whatnot, uh, dived into swimming pool at 12 years old, blessed enough that he didn't get paralyzed uh, from it, but it did lead him on for his journey of where he's at today. So let's go ahead and get started with our guest is Dr. Alan Weiser. Thank you for being here, man. Thank you. So appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad we had this talk again, like I said earlier. So um, so let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get started here. Uh, I know you got some good stuff you're going to show us with pain management that you come across over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Coming to trial lawyer, that, that'd be a story in itself. So if you yeah. want to um, uh, go ahead and pick us up, put us where you think is best for us to begin, and we'll we'll follow through. Okay. So just to orient people, I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Seattle. Although I grew up in New York, spent most of my life there till the late 90s. And then before that, I was a criminal trial attorney. And so I've worked as a psychologist uh, since around the late 80s. And initially, my work was with the chronically mentally ill. Initially in New York, I worked 10 years in the state mental hospital. And that's actually relevant to what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when I moved on from that work around early 2000s, almost by accident, I got involved working in a pain management clinic, even though I hadn't worked with chronic pain patients. And lessons learned from my other work started applying in that. And over the last 20 years and about 2,000 patients, this evolved into an approach to help people. I don't really like the word chronic. I prefer the word persistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, chronic sounds too much like a life sentence. Yes. So there are lots of conditions that persist and, and can persist with great impact, right? Exactly. So, uh, you know, we work with people who are chronically mentally ill who are locked up in a state hospital. I began to understand that you have to really look at treating the person's life, that just treating the disease is not enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll come back around to that. Now, the personal connection to this started, as you mentioned, when I was 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. So picture I'm a headstrong kid who wants to figure out things for himself. Kind of fearless. Great, right? right. Invincible. Absolutely. Who isn't, right? That's right. So uh, I decided to learn how to do a backflip on a diving board. I was into swimming. I thought that would be cool, right? Did you know when you do a backflip on a diving board, you're just supposed to dive out, not straight up? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I found out the hard way. I came down on the board. I broke my neck. 
Now, the part about the quadriplegic where it might have been a bit confusing in, in my data for you, I'm taken to the hospital. I know my neck's broken, right? And I'm in my hospital bed. They put a cast on my neck. I have no idea, you know, where I'm at or what's going on. The doctor walks in, it's still a long time ago, and he says, if you don't die and you're not paralyzed, you will be a cripple for the rest of your life, right? I'm 12 and a half, mm -hmm. right? I was calling friends to say goodbye. So, oh, yeah. Good news is it didn't kill me and it didn't paralyze me, but that in the hospital. Were, were you, let me ask a question, were you able to continue moving your limbs? Oh, yeah. Even though you were, okay, so. It really I, wasn't I was, spinal cord was, damage. It was just uh, the yeah, bone, no. bone was broke. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that yeah. didn't happen, but I was confined to the bed, and mm -hmm. I had to wear a cast and then a brace. So I couldn't stand being in the hospital. They could have kept me there for months. This is a way back. You know, this is the way they treated th things like mm -hmm. this at that time. So they sent me home, but the catch was that I had to be on my back in a bed for over a year. I wasn't allowed to get out of bed or even to sit up. Right. So, yeah, the closest I came to being in a situation where I couldn't walk was my legs were so atrophied. It took me over a year to be able to walk normally again. Yes. And actually trying to walk was more painful than the broken neck. Well, I was going to say laying around uh, and getting started uh, again, well, even just laying around can cause aches and pains. And yeah. then, like you said, can persist even worse uh, the longer you stay there and do nothing. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets relevant to my current work. So I'm one of those stoic kids, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody knows I'm terrified. I've just been told that I'm fragile and that for the rest of my life, I'll be fragile. So forget adventures, forget being physical, forget doing any of the things that I was going to be doing, right? Yes. I put my attention on not really acknowledging that to myself or anybody else. So I'm just going to kind of persevere, right? I'm going to mm -hmm. push on through. Right. Uh, so nobody knew how I felt. And I didn't even let myself know how much I was being affected by the meaning of the accident. It wasn't just that I got hurt. When you're that age and you're the way I was, the conclusion I came to, which it took me years to understand, was I decided that I really wasn't competent to take risk. It wrecked my confidence so much so that I almost flunked out of high school. Mm hmm. Right now, I have two PhDs, so obviously I should have been able to get through high school, right? So there I am thinking a lot less of myself, not really understanding because I didn't connect to the in the impact of the injury existentially. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, in my junior year, uh, I run into a teacher who I really liked. He was young, he was funny, he was really entertaining. My chemistry teacher, no less, right? So. I'm doing my usual best and failing his class. It's about two thirds of the way through the year. Mm -hmm. And he goes like, calls me and he goes like, why are you failing my class? You're a smart guy. And I go, it was a funny conversation. He's going, you're a smart guy. I'm going like, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. you are. You, you are. No, I'm not. Right? He said, okay, you know what? I'm going to tutor you. So he did for months and I got a C in chemistry. That put a dent in this idea that I was incompetent, that yes. I wasn't particularly smart. Now, here's the interesting part. I never questioned all those years why I thought I was stupid in high school. Because in grade school, I didn't think I was stupid. Mm -hmm. Right? Until years later, sitting with a patient talking about this story and comparing notes, I realized that I'd forgotten what I said to myself when the doctor walked into my, hotel, in my hospital room. Okay. 
Totally forgot. It was totally buried, right? Years later, many, many years later, right? My first thought when the doctor told me what he said was, stupid, stupid, stupid. Look what you've done to yourself. Yes. I got you. Right? That's why I thought I was stupid, but I didn't know. I denied that truth to myself. You know, if not for the work that I do, I might never have figured that one out. I overcame it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm the kind of person that doesn't take anything lying down. But well, by the time I got through high school, I go like, you know what? I can't handle this idea of being fragile. I mean, I was even afraid to do that, right? So sort of who I really was asserted itself. Uh, what did I do? I signed up for judo and trampoline. You know, picture that. I was told that I was fragile, right? Yes. First thing I'm going to do, and I remember the first throw of my instructor, you know, judo, you get crashed to the ground, right? And I remember flying through the air thinking, this is either it or maybe I'm going to find out something that's good. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I can say that to the first flying you're going, I'm either going to break my neck again and it's going to be worse or it's going to be the most incredible thing ever happened. Yeah, yeah you're on that teeter-totter right there. Yeah, now, might have been foolish, bad judgment, but as I said, you can't really destroy who a person is no matter what happens to them. So my essential self asserted itself, and I wasn't willing to take it without pushing back. So my neck is fine. I never had a problem with my neck. I've been mm -hmm. involved in the martial arts collectively over 50 years, mm -hmm. which is very important because that was a whole other series of learnings that led to the work I do. Oh, there's got to be a lot of discipline and, and things like that with your education and, and, and make your head more headstrong. Yeah. yeah. And, and understanding martial arts, the most wonderful thing about it is it basically says you don't know your limits. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can always push to see if you can go further. I knew about the first wing and the second wind. Then no, there was a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this idea of challenging your sense of limit, which, as you know, when you have physical challenges, People get to feeling like I have limits, right? I just, just can't go that far. I mean, you have to be judicious and use common sense. Mm -hmm. But I have found in the work that I've done that people can do a lot more than they think they can. So that experience with my teacher gave me enough confidence. So I graduated. I got to college and met other people like that who seemed to know me better than me, right? Who go like, you don't really know. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you've got going for you. Yeah. You know, I'm very fortunate. There were always people who sort of going, I'm going like, yeah, maybe, right? That got me along the ways to to law school, right? Mm -hmm. and passing the bar on the first time. But in those days, if you asked me, I would have said, I don't know if I'm that smart, but I, if I work hard, I can do really well. Mm -hmm. right? So I sort of made that that transition. So I've had a lot of experiences since, since then, including the martial arts, spent a lot of time traveling out in the world. I've met a lot of spiritual teachers, people who helped to mentor and enlighten me about potential, right? You mm -hmm. talk about perseverance. That's kind of my middle name. But what it's really based upon is something that I've come to understand about what it means to be human. And this is central to the work that I do with people. Hopefully mm -hmm. the story isn't too confusing, but... Human beings, by definition, are infinite potential, right? We love it when we see people overcome things, right? That you go like, how do they do that? You know, it's not some people, it's all people, right? If you can tap into that potential, anything is possible. Well, and what I like what you're saying here is that when you, me, my next door neighbor, accomplish something that's so 
difficult and no one thought they can do it. Then it gives me the idea, you know, maybe I can do something like that. And yeah. gives it sparks that that little thought anyway uh, to try a little harder. Yeah. 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 The, the irony is that we all, we all come into the world with that. If you think about it from an evolutionary point of view, mm -hmm. we're designed mm -hmm. by millions of years to adapt and to survive, right? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. what makes us think we can't handle something? You know, ultimately, it's a lack of imagination. Yes. So uh, <clears throat> I say that with humility because I often thought when I started working with chronic pain patients, I think I'm going to help people. My patients have lots of complicated problems, multiple medical problems, physical problems. But that, that was a central tenet of my understanding. The other, the other part of that understanding that I came to believe, and take this in whatever way you think, mm -hmm. self-esteem, self-love is the key. I, if I could interview people who have overcome things where you go, you can't do that, I guarantee you I'd find people that, that experienced unconditional love. Yes. And as you know, many of us don't, right? Exactly. So here's a simple formulation. Self-esteem is not based on who you are. It's based on what you are. You may not like who you are. You may not like the way you operate. Well, when it comes to that, you're the creator. You can change. Oh, yes. That's good. Right? I like that. I like that. Right. Not only yes. that, but from an evolutionary point of view, why would you attach self-love to something as transitory as your current identity? Let me give you an example of um, unconditional love here. Uh, I have a service dog, Ricardo. He's in another room, uh, but he's a black lab I got in uh, Canine Companions for Independence in uh, Orlando. And so, but part of his training, he was actually in a prison system and the prisoner got to work with him. Uh -huh. Now, I got to see a documentary on TV years ago before I got my service dog. And I remember seeing they were showing how these prisoners were working with these dogs to help people like me and other people. And it was time to give that dog up to go to the next level mm. to get to the next training. Right. And you wouldn't believe these men crying, giving that dog up and just not being selfish to hold it because they wanted to help. But they come back and said that that dog gave them the unconditional love they never got from their parents. Yeah. And absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons why people love animals, right? Yes. From my point of view, we're all here for each other, and that includes the animals and the trees and the flowers and the birds. And the bees. You know, it's, and it's, oh, it's a song, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's tragic <laughs> that the human race causes so much damage to itself, not understanding. If you and I had decided to create an environment for human existence, could we have done a better job than creating this planet? Well... I would like to say we could uh, maybe have it a better an attempt at uh, some of the stuff that goes on today. Uh, but, you know, who knows maybe when I was young and dumb what I would have done. Yeah, I think that, that animals are in alignment with this idea of connectivity and, and joining together in potential, and, and they're attracted to that potential. And they don't have all of the things that get in the way of people really connecting with each other. Well, I tell, I've told other people we're the smartest creatures here on earth but we do the stupidest stuff yeah, you know well, yeah and we're the most uh, creative and intelligent uh supposedly yeah and we overthink and make things too complicated and yeah yeah so 
as I said, working with the chronically pain, the chronic mentally ill patients, I'm going like these people are institutionalized, they're psychotic. You know, they many of them had had a real life for a long time, and I'm going like, what am I supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. I already sort of was aware of this way of thinking about things, right? I was much more interested in not what happens, but what does it mean? Mm-hmm. This is where people miss a lot of important information. Let's say you tell me you lost a job. I know that means something, but I have no idea what it means to you as a person. And it might mean something totally different than what it would mean to me. Yes. But if you do a traditional chronic pain assessment, the person says, I lost a job. You go, yeah, okay, they lost a job. I kind of got that, right? You don't go like, what does that mean to you? Well, it might mean nothing, or it might mean everything or everything in between. Mm -hmm. So both with patients in the hospital and then my chronic pain patients, my current intake packet for my chronic pain patients is almost 80 pages. Because I found out, and you know this, that it's not just that you have physical problems. They cause damage. They cause collateral damage, right? Mm -hmm. For example, if you have a chronic pain situation, you might have lost physical conditioning, had weight gain, sleep disruption, right? All of these things can actually contribute to how much pain you have and how well you heal. So if you look at the book title that I wrote, you know, Unraveling the Mystery and Mastering, I don't talk about pain management. I don't even believe in that word. Mastery mm-hmm. means you put yourself back in charge. Mastery mm-hmm. means you put yourself back in a position where you can thrive. Okay. I'm sure you've had your own experience addressing that. Oh, well, yeah, definitely with the pain makes you think differently. Yeah, and learning yeah. what to do so that it has yeah. a minimal amount of impact, maybe recreating yeah. yourself, being adaptive. So the first part of my work was kind of going like, wow, that happens, that can happen. Some examples. Do people think that, do people know that if you've lost a lot of ability to function, you might lose your sense of purpose or meaning, right? Loss of personal continuity, loss of expectations, right? Uh, well, that's, so a perfect, that's a perfect example with me. I'm sorry to interrupt you on this point, but sure. uh, when I first took out my injury and was paralyzed, and I knew it instantly as soon as I had my neck was broken, and um, they were told they told my family put me in a nursing home at the age of 19. And I, I was, I just kept going, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah. You know, because I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. So I understand what you're saying here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the journey I went through with starting with the people who were chronically mentally ill and then to the chronic pain population was beginning to understand, I really need to know what's really happened to them. And think of it this way. If the, all, all of the potential damages that can happen to you besides the injury that flow from it, Mm-hmm. or a 10-story building, the medical environment doesn't go past the fourth floor. Right? I just presented to a trial lawyers association in Florida and about general damages, personal injury, you know, pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. They maybe get to the fifth floor. And when I started explaining to them that it impacts you physically, it impacts your personal life in many, many ways. And not only that, but going through treatment, as I'm sure you know, can cause damage. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in the system that can go wrong. There's two chapters in my book about all the things that can go wrong in treatment and what to do about it. So once I started identifying all the problems that you can have because of your injuries, how it's affecting you across the board holistically, right? Existentially, emotionally, mm-hmm. psychologically, all yes. of it. And they're like, what do you do with that? 
Well, that's when I started thinking about potential, evolution. Wait a second. If you and I designed a human entity and we go, we want it to be able to function optimally and deal with the challenges that being alive presents that we don't have control over, wouldn't we design a creature that has a set of tools to actually address the challenge, an existential toolkit, which mm -hmm. led to my understanding of something I refer to as the existential immune system. We don't just have a physical immune system. We have an emotional, psychological, and existential immune system. It's a full kit. And then the problem is most people don't know they have it. They don't know what the tools are. And even if they did, they don't know how to use them. Uh, yes, I can say that. Right. So that led to developing a technology. This isn't just philosophical or based on counseling. This is actually a toolkit. I'm, I'm a pragmatist, right? I like to turn something that's theoretical into something useful. Mm -hmm. right? Great idea, but what do you do with it, right? So I don't know if this is helpful. You'll have to let me know if this is good to continue down this road. The point I want to get across to people who are listening is, you know, I get it. It's one of the first things I hear from patients. They'll, they'll tell me after doing my big intake packet, you know, you're the first person who really gets it. And I go like, that's interesting. How much did you know about what was in there? They go like, I didn't. Yes. And while it was kind of overwhelming to see that I've got 20 or 30 problems instead of one, it was also reassuring. You know, in the martial arts, they thought they were fighting one opponent. They didn't know they were fighting 20. Now they understood why they were falling down. But before that, they thought they were failing. You probably know this. How many people think they're failing because they don't recover more than they do? Oh, I can say yes. That, uh, yep. Yeah. I can tell you that I've never met a patient where they were failing, but I have met lots of patients who didn't know what they were up against. So I can believe that because they concentrated on so much on one thing, the pain, that they ignore what the possibilities of what caused it, the right. uh, secondary pain. Uh, they just throw it all, lump one, lump it all in one something. Sure. And as you know, it's not just about physical pain, which is really something you don't want to have to have. But if I ask a patient, if you had to decide less pain or higher level of functioning, what do you think most people say? I think you're throwing me a curveball. I'm betting they're going to say they want less pain. No, I'm wrong. Okay. I thought you were throwing me a curveball. No, no, I, I, it's a difficult question to answer, but if you think about it, nobody wants pain, and especially pain that's disabling. But well, yeah. Okay, yeah. But if you, and you, you know, I'm sure you've addressed this yourself, if you don't feel like you can function, all right, that you can have an impact, that you can be mm -hmm. in the world, that's more devastating than it really hurts. I guess what I should have asked you when you said less pain or be more functional, I should have said, what, what are you talking about on less pain? 10% off of it? Then we determine, yeah, I should have, should have thought of that one first. Okay. You know, I'll give you an, here's a good example. If you use an opioid, for example, for chronic pain, mm -hmm. on the one hand, I understand that some people must do that because it's just that painful. But opioids also completely undermine your functioning. They have a lot of nasty side effects in terms of your ability to function. Fuzzy oh, yeah. head, change in personality, addiction, all kinds of stuff, right? So it's kind of like that. You, if you get the relief from the pain, but it doesn't increase your ability to function, how much value are you getting from that? Uh, exactly. There's a, an right. amazing amount of medication that the side effects is almost as worse than yeah. your primary. Yeah. Yes. What yeah. you're saying, that's a, yeah, that's a great, exa great example. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and when you understand that you have this innate potential, that you have many ways to approach dealing with this that don't require those things. You know, I like ways of coping that are cheap and replenishable and don't cause any side effects, right? Mm -hmm. So the second stage of the evolution of what I do was what is the existential immune system? What are those elements, right? What are the tools? So I won't give you questions that nobody could actually answer. But one of the first questions was, okay, I see that my patients have a lot of anxiety and anger, right? Not surprising. In the beginning, I go like, you know, and I'm well-educated. I go like, why wouldn't they, right? They're going through a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. But I said to myself, is that it? I, I believe that life is, is a duality, that it's not just one thing. You and I know that you don't want to have suffering, but you can actually learn from it, right? Uh, yes, so I asked myself a really basic question. Is there anything worthwhile about anxiety and anger? Other than just making you feel really worse. And that's when I discovered something incredibly important. Mm -hmm. It turns out that anxiety and anger are the two most important human emotions. Okay. And the two most important pieces of, of your toolkit, there's five major tools. That's number one. Now, most people don't know emotions have a functional purpose. They're not just an experience. But you go like, what would be the functional purpose of anxiety? I kept exploring. I'm an explorer, right? I kept like following mm -hmm. the bouncing ball. Yeah. I came to understand you never experience any kind of anxiety unless your needs are being threatened. That led to this understanding. It's an alarm system. It's a fire alarm. Now, the irony is that we think that anxiety is weakness, right? Shameful. I, yeah, a lot of yes. But it's not. It's just a fire alarm. Would we say listening to a fire alarm is weak? But when we deny anxiety, that's exactly what we're doing. See, and what you mentioned here, it's making me think of when I was much younger, now that I'm older and a little bit smarter, that um, we were brought up that if you go and talk to a psychologist, psychiatrist, you're crazy. Where I've come to learn, because... I tend to suicide, and so I lived, and I saw a psychologist for a year. And so come to learn that speaking to someone, whether it's a good friend, minister, whatever, to open up is great um, exercise for your mind. You know, here we are, we're working out to get our muscles stronger and better and, and, and things when we need to exercise our mind just as much. Yeah, I agree. Uh these concepts, they all come together. I think we're in agreement about everything I'm talking about. But think of it this way. I'm a classically trained therapist, all right? So I know the schools. I've worked in that model. I went through 15 years of psychoanalysis. But I don't believe in mental illness as a concept anymore. And interestingly, the most recent articles about depression is they're saying that it's not a biological condition. Okay. I think of what we call a mental illness as operating systems that have too many side effects that just don't work well and they cause major disruption in your ability to function. But every one of them, believe it or not, in my opinion, I'll probably get phone calls on this one. There you go. I think everything from anxiety disorders to psychoses are a dysfunctional way to relate to anxiety and anger. Right? Okay. If you haven't learned how to use this system and learn what the tools are for, you're going to do your best. 
But if you haven't learned enough to be able to optimize it, it's going to get in your way. So I go, okay, so anxiety is a fire alarm. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And if you know this, it's great. If you don't, it's game changer when people go, really? That's useful? It's not a bad thing, not a weak thing, not a shameful thing? I go, yeah, it's good to know you've got a threat. But then the question is, what do you do? What do you need to use to address the threat? Yes. Knock it down, eliminate it, right? For that, you need the single most important human emotion, which is anger. Anger is not yelling, screaming, and hitting. That is a dysfunctional use Uh, of that emotion, right? The emotion is focus and energy to put the threat to rest. I started introducing that concept to my patients because they had 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 threats to their needs. They'd use it varying numbers of approaches to try and cope with it with limited success because like COVID, you know this because you went through this. There are things that happen to people that you're not ready for. Oh, yes. There's a lot of things that happen. We think we're ready for, we're not ready for. No, yes. Yes. If you're you're agile and you can adapt, you can change up, cool. But most people get fixed in a certain way of operating and when it's challenged, they don't like it. So I say to patients, look, we're just assessing your operating system. We're doing a systems check. And mm-hmm. if it's not optimal, then we're going to get rid of the non-user-friendly features. We're going to evolve it. It's Windows 12. Right? Okay. Uh, because I think, in truth, that's what it really means. It's going to come down to your capacity to cope and adapt and meet the challenges life throws at you. Now, when you say reprogramming, basically, is what we're talking about, isn't it? I mean, for I know everybody's different. So what's like an average time you try to look for or shoot for on, on trying to get them to change like that? It's a great question. It's one of the reasons why initially when I started doing podcasts, I'm telling people read the book, right? The book's great. It's got a lot of good information. It's seven years on the works, but it's it's not enough because most people in chronic pain, they just want to be done. They mm-hmm. want the injection. They want the surgery. They want the medication. I understand it, right? If I tell them, you know what? I can help you. I can transform this for you. I can help you move from surviving to thriving, but it'll involve self-discovery, personal evolution, and rearranging how you operate as a human being. Most of my patients will go like, you know, why would I want to do that? I need, I need. Yeah, when I just get a shot. (laughs) Really? So I think that I have to be respectful about this. And when I see patients, right, and they can talk to me about this approach, it's easier because they can see right away Yeah, it might take a while, but it has immediate application. So to answer your question, I would suggest you think about it this way. If you practice the techniques that we've developed, you practice them religiously. When I started out in the martial arts, I practiced 20 to 25 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I, I moved through that very rapidly compared to most people. If you practice these techniques a lot, you can move through this system and become adept at it within a year or two. Okay. Right, but a lot of people. The the problem is these techniques require that you be open to being vulnerable, and exploring yeah, things about uh, yourself yes. and changing things. That's not easy, right? Stuff that you don't want to bring back from your past. Understandable, right? Yeah, you yeah, yes. Stuff. Like me, I spent years not knowing what was so important about what happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it can take a year or two, but but if you ever known anybody who's gone through martial arts training. No, not one anybody personally. I talked to another YouTube uh, podcast, and this one woman, she's she's uh, considered uh, like the first 
woman ninja uh, okay. type thing. And cool. so, yeah, I mean, the, but uh, not personally, no one wouldn't even know. Yeah, so you're familiar with the belt system, right? There's different belts yep. depending I do on know, I do that, yes. I know that. It's yeah, so, a so picture what I'm talking about is an existential martial art. So the minute you walk in my dojo, you already know more than you did before, right? Yeah. You're observing other people doing stuff you don't know, right? You're starting to be shown things, right? Very fundamental, very basic, mm -hmm. but you're already a step at. Then you get into that and you start acquiring those fundamental understandings and a little bit of skill. You move into yellow belt. Now you're beginning to kind of go, that's a punch, that's a kick, that's a block. I kind of know what they are. I'm starting to really work on honing those, turning them into muscle memory. And when you've done that with all your basics, you're at a green belt level. Now you can do it without having to think about it, right? But every step along the way, you are further along than you were. You don't have to mm -hmm. wait to get to the benefit, right? Yes. Now, if you keep working at it really hard, the next level is brown belt. And brown belt, that's when you take the power and you put it into the technique. Right? So now you're further along in that progress. And then you go for black belt, and that gets you to, you know, certain mastery and finesse. My point in answer to your question is it doesn't take that long that people get it or get comfortable with it or able to get into it and are willing to commit to practicing. But to be respectful with people, I'm going to tell you to change the way you operate. I'm going to tell you to throw away the system you developed to be able mm -hmm. to feel safe in the world. Why in the world would you do that? It's going to take time to look at it, take it out yeah, for oh, yes, drive, yes. right? Yes. So I think a lot of it, and some of my patients are ready to roll. They've well, done and some of them are, some of them, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but some of them yeah. are, um, even though it's painful with their, they're involved with what's going on in the situation. Yeah. They're comfortable in the boat. Yeah. But I've also got people who come into it who are so, like you said earlier, that they think being in therapy is shameful. Yeah. Right. They think it's a sign of weakness. So, mm -hmm. and it's not, model, people. I learned that uh, firsthand. And yeah. it's not. If you seek some type of counseling, it's only to get you stronger and better. Yeah. So, the good news is that. I've dealt with people being resistant to treatment in, in many different venues and styles of treatment. Mm -hmm. This this technology cuts through it. It breaks through that resistance much more rapidly because the ideas involved in this is so simple and cognitive and understandable. It makes people feel safer. So getting back to what you said, though, about reprogramming. So you, get, you want to get out of suppressing your emotions. You want to learn how to use especially anxiety and anger. And sadness, you know, you want to be able to really embrace suffering and grieve your losses. But then you have to work on your thinking, right? All human experience eventually is translated into thoughts and feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to take a look at those and see if they're really working optimally. Well, thinking, you and I probably are quite aware of this. Judgmental thinking, rationalizations, assumptions, magical thinking, belief-based thinking, none of these represent the truth. Now, you look at our society, and we are toxic with this kind of thinking. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what side of the equation you're on. That kind of thinking does not produce empowerment. Yes. So the other approach to helping people change the way they operate is to take a look at that, see if they've got any glitches. Often people have belief systems like perfectionism, the need for approval, right? Yes. Self-blame. Those are flaws in the system, right? That's the ghost in the machine. Those are the viruses that are part of your operating system you're not aware of. And you don't even know that's not you. That's just programming. Yes. 
So we start challenging thinking. We challenge how a person operates emotionally. If we get into conflict resolution, getting back to what you said, you can get to that connectivity with people no matter what's happened to you if you know how to resolve your differences. But in our society, how many people have been taught how to do that successfully? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm worried about our younger folks today. Yeah, me too. And then you move on to how do you resolve your own internal conflicts? We often have conflicting needs. And more importantly, how do you understand how the way you operate came into existence? Right? A lot of people go like, why do we have to look at my childhood again? I go like, we're not going to look at it the way you looked at it. Right? We're gonna, you could tell me my mother used to get angry with me when I did something she didn't like. I go, okay, that's an event, important. Mm -hmm. But my question is, how did you interpret her behavior? Oh, well, I thought I must be bad. That's the meaning part, mm -hmm. right? A parent who's perfectionistic, right? They think they're just trying to help you do things really well, right? But if you are the child, you may experience it as no matter what I do, it's never good enough. Mm -hmm. So these beliefs are evolved in childhood. A lot of it's completely unknown. The parents don't know. The kids don't know. You wake up at age 15 or 20, you go like, what's going on here? I'm having a hard time loving myself. I'm having a hard time getting along with people, getting good relationships. So this system challenges all of those foundational principles. Mm -hmm. It looks to optimize how well you can make use of those thoughts and feelings. It raises your awareness, right? Uh, if you feel anxious, what's the difference between saying, I'm anxious, I wonder why I am, or saying, I'm feeling anxious, my needs must be threatened, what need is threatened? You see the difference? Mm -hmm. Right? But people don't know that. They don't even want it. They want to get rid of it. You know, go away. Don't bother Yeah. Them. So I don't want to keep doing sort of a lecture on this. Am I addressing it's, it's been very interesting to me. I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. So um, uh, bring back some uh, some some thoughts of mine and everything and, uh, and from my past, just listening and little two cents I'm able to throw in here. So, Yeah, look, I, I know in, in the work you've done and the people you've had on, there's a lot of approaches to this. I'm not unique in that. What I like about it is if it was a martial art, it would be one of the most efficient. Mm -hmm. They all work, right? But I like systems that are efficient, effective, don't require a lot of energy. And as you know, if you're suffering with physical pain or emotional suffering, it takes a lot of energy out of you. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah, you wore out as you, soon as yeah. you get started. The day yeah, starts, sure. you already wore out. Right. So if you have a coping system that gives you 100,000 miles to the gallon instead of 10, why not do that? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're onto something here. I've I've never looked at some of the things you said. I've never looked at it like you've told me, but uh -huh. it has opened my eyes to uh, want to know more about it. Yeah. Uh, people change. I've watched this happen over the years. You know, having worked with this many patients, it's a, it's a big sample set, right? So I would, and I practice what I preach, which is also important. If you don't think that the therapist really can relate, but I can. Mm -hmm. Right. So what what my high school chemistry teacher knew, I know now what all of those friends and teachers and mentors along the line were trying to tell me. I know. And I want to I want to pass it along. I want to share that with people. I'm not out there with the book or anything else we're going to do in the fall with classes and presentations. 
for self-aggrandizement. I, I think what we've learned is really important information. A lot of these concepts you have not heard before, and they're powerful. Yes, that's right. I just yeah. want people to be aware of this. There's hope out there. There's ways to persevere that people don't even know exist. I um, was uh, listening. I forgot what I was going to say because I was listening so intently. Uh, but I'll go back to this other one, that I'm glad you had a teacher that thought that much of you giving you that little push to uh, know you're smarter than what you're putting out. Um, when I had my injury, yeah, one teacher of all my teachers I had, one teacher came to the hospital to see me. And uh, about 30 years later, I was able to find her and thank her for coming to the hospital to see me. And she was yeah. just, she was an English teacher. I gave her a copy of my book I wrote because when I was a sophomore, I failed half her school year. <laughs> and so here I am. She's an English teacher. So here I am handing her a book that I wrote. And Great. she and others uh, had told me I was smarter than I was putting out. Uh, but when she came to the hospital, me paralyzed, and she was the only one to come. It was, felt so special. And again, I'm glad 30 years later I was able to find her to thank her for that. So yeah. this chemistry teacher, uh, you're just blessed to have him thank that much of you. Yeah, I just couldn't get beyond his logic, at least in terms of, and I, I realized I had to start really considering if I really knew myself. You know, and it wasn't just about being smart, it was about me. This yeah. idea that that who you are is not what determines how you feel about yourself, uh, that is incredibly liberating. Yeah. So when I experience anything, I'm on my side, right? Even if I didn't have anybody else, I'm there for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm there for me at 100%. And if you want to make it through this life and deal with things that happen to people, you've got a better shot at surviving if you're completely on your own side. But what if you're not friends with yourself? What if you don't uh, even know yes. yourself, right? There's a, yep, there's a lot of people, and I know a few like that. Yeah. So and I, it goes back to the self-love you mentioned earlier. And I'm more a big believer. If you can't love yourself, how can you expect someone else to? That's exactly uh, right. I agree with you completely. And that happens. People with chronic pain feel like they're even more unlovable than they might have thought. Yeah. Because, again, pain makes you think differently. So, yeah. all right, Dr. Alan uh, Weiser, thank you for being here. We were, we were, got, I don't know if we, we just scammed and touched uh, very little. Um, I would love to have you back at a different time in a couple of months. Maybe we can expand. I appreciate that. Because uh, yeah, I sure... I know that I've got something out of this and I'm cool. sure the listeners are going to jump in and get it too. Yeah. Well, I hope, they, I hope they listen to the idea that I would understand why they're not going to rush out to buy a book, but we, that's why in, in September we're going to do a live webinar where people okay. can call in and just ask questions. I, I would love to be in the environment where it's question and answer from the audience, because I think it's helpful if somebody says, what do you do with this? Or what do you do with that? The book goes into what do you do? It's not just here's the problem. It tells you if you want mastery, this is what you do. About so, when do you think September you're having your webinar? I'm not certain. I, I will definitely make sure that you're aware of it. Yeah, make sure I know because I can put it in the show notes. And I would like to maybe let's get together a week or two before to prime people to come in and listen when you know that date. And we can set up a week or two in advance. Cool. beforehand i really appreciate that I really yeah, yeah 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 I've, I've, I've drunk the kool-aid man uh, so i've fallen in with this uh i really again i've got a lot out of it so 
All right, Doctor, I appreciate it. And uh, if you want to, again, promote uh, your website, your book. Again, you mentioned the webinar yeah. in September. We'll get a date to put up. Yeah. And just, we'll go from if, there. And yeah, any websites or anything. Yeah, if they, if they don't know, just look under newoptionsinc.com, I-N-C. That'll connect okay. them to everything that's going on, including other podcasts and presentations I've done. So if they want to kind of get into it and sort of sample it without looking at the book even, there's, there's just listen, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, I appreciate you being here. Again, I get uh, something out of it myself. And this is one reason why I do these podcasts. I uh, figured if no one else out there gets it, I'm going to get something to that, that I can use. And yeah. so I just hope and believe and believe that there's other people out there that are hanging in there with us and, and getting some. So anyone else, hey, you know, someone that's uh, struggling physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, have them listen to this um, this podcast. Be sure to share it. So, cool. Dr. Weiser, thank you for being on here. Let me ask one more thing of you that, sure. well, again, we know that there's people hurting and struggling today. And if you can leave us with a positive message to help them get through today, that'd be awesome. Discover how miraculous you are as a human being. Discover that there's no such thing as being helpless. You know, explore your full potential because you were designed to handle things. You just need to figure out how to do that and learn from it. I understand why people are discouraged and why they feel like I'm done. Uh, I'm sure I'll run across something at some point where I will be, but you know, if, if I had to suggest what would be on my tombstone, it's going to be, this is one I won't take lying down. Awesome. I appreciate the message. So, all right, everybody else, thank you for coming in and listening and begin to share it out. Hey, I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance on the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Uh, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at professorofperseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.